Welcome back to another edition of the PegCast. I'm your host, Michael Pagani, joined alongside my NHL analyst, Nolan Thode. Today, we are starting something new. This segment is called Down to the Wire, where I bring Nolan Thode on to recap the, you know, what happened within the week within the NHL. Uh, so, Nolan, welcome on to the show again. Uh, thank you again for taking my invitation. No problem, Pags, man. It's always an honor to be on the PegCast. One thing I uh, wanted to get, get out of the way, though, you know, even though we're talking about hockey here, I think both of us gotta gotta appreciate the the run that the Buffalo Bills are going on right now. That's a incredible feat, and hopefully uh, we wish them luck in the AFC Championship against the Kansas City Chiefs. Uh, you know, and that thought occurred to me this weekend. We saw them uh, play a defensively sound game. You know, their offense wasn't there. You know, that could have been because of the wind. Uh, obviously, the wind was affecting. Uh, Justin Tucker, who hit two kicks off the upright. You can call it commentator jinx uh, by Al Michaels and or Chris Collinsworth. However you want to look at it, they left uh, a potential six points on the board there because of those two mit- missed kicks. But, you know, I I think Mich- Michelle Tefoyo, if I'm pronouncing her name correctly, uh, she reported, uh, you know, that both coaches acknowledged that wind was a major factor within the game. Uh, so, you know, that's just uh, a problem with, uh, you know, it, this type of offense that the Bills have. You know, they really asserted their pass offense first. Uh, you know, their first uh, run was actually an Allen scramble, and that didn't come to late first quarter or, you know, maybe even the late first half. I'm not too sure, but they just kept passing the ball. And, you know, uh, Sal Capaccio, the Bills beat reporter, who just did an interview on Overdrive uh, just about 20 minutes ago, uh, he said that, uh, Dable uh, really came out in this past first offense because, you know, the Bills noted what the Ravens did to Derrick Henry and how they held him to 50 yards or less in that yeah. wild card game against uh, mm-hmm. the Titans. So, you know, it's a huge run the Bills are going on. It sucks that, you know, there's this whole pandemic going on and how we can't make it down there uh, to even tailgate or to even, uh, you know, be with the fans, be with Bill's Mafia, but we just got cheer from our living rooms, uh, from our basements uh, potentially. And, you know, that's that. Hopefully next year uh, we can do something special. Exactly. We just got to keep adjusting to the circumstances. I know for me, it's especially tough since uh, the biggest Bill's fan in my family besides myself it's probably my brother and he's living in Hamilton now and we're in two different bubbles. So me not being able to watch the games with him is definitely, definitely something hard. Let's start out here. Uh, you know, the NHL is almost a week old here. Uh, you know, I, and I thought that this was a more of a slow start rather than, you know, fans that were you that we're used to. Uh, teams are really slow out of the gate. It doesn't seem like everyone's 100%. Uh, I thought this, you know, the overtime between the Montreal Canadiens and the Toronto Maple Leafs was a great example of how teams were slow out of the gate. You know, we saw Deneau on his breakaway and how he had no speed. You know, usually you would see players be faster than that. Um, You know, but I just thought that it's really weird how, you know, like obviously we had no preseason games. So as a fan, we hate preseason. But if you take it from the players' perspectives – now we understand just how important those preseason games are to them and how now uh, we are seeing the effects without those preseason games. No, yeah, for sure. I think I think a big factor to do with some of these slow starts that some of the teams are seeing is, you know, the lack of training camp and preseason games. In a regular season, you know, teams are with each other for months, 
before the season, you know, sort of just getting in preparation for game action. And they also get those preseason games, which doesn't perfectly simulate, you know, a regular season game, but it gives them a good idea of the speed. And uh, coming out of the gate, a lot of these teams are, are not used to the speed of a regular NHL game, especially, you know, considering there was 24 teams in the bubble, but there's, se- there's seven teams who haven't played since last March. So for those those seven teams, they haven't seen game action in almost a full year. So it's definitely a big adjustment getting back onto the ice for them. And I'm hoping that once players get used to, like I think during this next week of NHL hockey, we're going to now see like the usual, we're going to get accustomed to, you know, the regular hockey that we're used to, you know, tough, speedy, uh, gritty hockey that some teams play. No, yeah, for sure. I, I think as the season goes along, we're going to begin to get back to the normal uh, sort of speed and pace of the game. But definitely, you know, you, you brought up the Leafs and Habs game uh, yesterday. I'm not sure if you tuned in, but the Penguins Capitals game, not not sure if it was a factor because it was a it was a noon game. It was the middle of the day, but that overtime and shootout, it was it was it was rough to watch. There, there wasn't a lot of uh, wasn't a lot of movement along the ice for either team. I did tune into that game, in fact, and I got to agree with you. It didn't seem like any team, whether or both teams, I should say, wanted to come out and play. You know, they were just basically playing keep away for five minutes. And, you know, there wasn't really, you know, players weren't fast in the shootout. They came down slow and, you know, uh, monotonous and tried to fake, you know, shoulder fake or whatever. And, you know, Jake Gensel ended up scoring the shootout winner there for the Pittsburgh Penguins. But I definitely agree. It's It's kind of an odd start to... Uh, the season, obviously, we're not used to this. Uh, it is a different year, but I just thought that, you know, there'd be something, uh, you know, fast out of the gate. But hopefully this next uh, week, we will be definitely uh, accustomed to the fast start that we're used to. Oh, yeah, exactly. You know, the opening night is such a highly anticipated thing. And once you get to it, you know, the games are always exciting. These teams are hungry and eager and you know, we, we got the excitement and everything leading up to it. And we've been given some okay hockey, but definitely not as, as, as fast out of the gate as we're used to seeing. How different has it been for you or how, or, you know, have you adjusted to fans not being in the stands? I mean, in the bubble, fans not being in the stands, you know, we definitely saw the impacts. There was no home ice advantage in the playoffs, uh, clearly as both of the, uh, hosting teams were out in the qualifying round but uh you know I kind of got used to it from there and also with NBA and such uh, and NFL not seeing fans in the stands however now it's 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 a bit different because in a bubble you know we were used to seeing them play either at Scotiabank Arena or Rogers Place Mm -hmm. whereas now we're going all across the league these teams are hosting games in their home arenas and uh you know not you know we're not used to seeing some of these teams playing without fans in a specific arena so it's it's different for sure and and some teams you know even like florida and i think detroit has fans as well i was seeing today you know the minimal fans it it doesn't have too much of an impact it it's still uh as a as a sports fan you know good for them that they're able to get there into the crowd but i think a lot of us are just patiently waiting until you know full full crowds can be back and impacting the game you know uh and i think that we saw with this world juniors that 
you know, a lot of momentum or even the Bills game because I the center, I, you know, on Saturday, he was having trouble because of the crowd volume, Uh, you know, six, six thousand seven hundred fans, you know, feels like sixty seven thousand as that's the tagline that's going around Bills Mafia right now. Um, But yeah, like the center was having problems with the communication and the snap count. I because of just all the fans and you know it's it, that's crazy to me that such little fans can create so much momentum and you know I I'm just hoping that we can get fans uh, in old buildings hopefully by the end of the season uh, this year and I think that'll be really fun to see. Yeah, you just got to be optimistic that things are going to get better and uh, you know fans have always known that you know fans the crowd noise has an impact on the game, but I don't think it's been put into, you know, such a big perspective until now when we're seeing these teams play without fans. And to your point with the World Juniors, you know, USA got got up to a 2 nothing lead and, you know, by themselves, Canada tried to claw back in, but you definitely would have thought that had that game been with fans in Edmonton, I think Canada would have had a, a lot better chance rallying coming back, you know, behind the crowd noise. One team that has really surprised me so far has been the New Jersey Devils. They played two tight games against Boston. Both went to overtime. Uh, You know, Boston, as we all know, are the President's Trophy winner last year. And I thought that New Jersey looks really good out of the game. If they can carry this momentum, I mean, you know, in a sprint season like this with 56 games, who knows if they can make the playoffs? Exactly. Like in in such a fit in a 56 game season, you know, we're going to have one or two teams where, you know, not a lot of people expected them to make the playoffs, but they did. And uh, New Jersey, yes, you know, their roster isn't solid. And uh, within the last two years, they haven't had much success. But just three years ago, you know, they made the playoffs backed by a heart season by Taylor Hall. But you look at that roster and it wasn't, you know, much better than it is now. And I think a big part of this New Jersey success is the the youth throughout the lineup. I think, you know, these are New Jersey's one of those teams where they didn't have much of a roster to begin the season with in terms of completeness. Whereas you look at like a Tampa or a Boston for any rookie to come in and crack that lineup, it's going to be hard just because it's so set. But with New Jersey, you know, there were so many spots up for grabs and you see uh, Ty Smith, the defenseman. Now he's playing in his first season in the NHL. He looks like a really solid sound defenseman. And, and, and not even just the rookies this year, but the young guys like Jack Hughes, you know, they're, they're stepping up and they're, they're taking on the leadership roles that we expected them to see maybe a little bit earlier on. And New Jersey is playing without Nico Hiche and Jesper Brad, I should mention. mention. And, uh, you know, they're doing phenomenal without those two forwards because, you know, Hiche and Brad, who's really underrated, Brad, uh, I got to say, that guy's, uh, you know, tremendous skill. Both players. Um, both, yeah, both exactly. Players. They don't get enough media attention. And, you know, I think New Jersey's doing really well without them. And, you know, the impact that Brad and Hiche can add once they're healthy enough to return, I mean, you know, if they can continue this momentum, like I've been saying, you know, watch out for New Jersey. Yeah. Well, going to uh, extra time, two games in a row with Boston, uh, you know, Boston's without Pasternak, obviously that has an impact, but Boston without Pasternak is still a a playoff team in my opinion. So New Jersey definitely is, you know, getting on some people's radar. And, And I think that's just, it's a tough market, you know, uh, New Jersey, unless unless you're just a really big superstar throughout the history of that team, you know, outside of Mark Tambro, you know, Scott Stevens, Niedermeyer, 
not a lot of players get the recognition that they do deserve when they play in New Jersey, just because there's not a lot of national coverage towards them. Now, although you mentioned that Boston, you know, their forward core looks pretty deep, I would say, or maybe their bottom six is, is a bit weak, but I think the Boston defense is quite uh, thin, you know, it lacks depth outside of Charlie McAvoy, who's really the star, you know, anchoring the back end there. I don't think that Boston has a tremendous defensive core, in my opinion. Well, yeah, I mean, when you lose probably your two best defensemen in the offseason, uh, you know, Zidane Ochara is not the same defenseman he used to be, but, you know, he was the captain, and defensively, he still was providing a lot for that team. It's a big presence to lose and to adjust to, as well as Tory Krug. You know, he was the main offensive uh, player on that defense core. So now either, you know, Charlie McAvoy, as you mentioned, or even Matt Grizzlick is going to have to step up in an off- offensive way. Uh so Boston's, Boston's been gifted with good decors throughout the last couple of years, as well as good goaltending. But, you know, this year, losing Chara and Krug, they're going to have to adjust, and it's going to be interesting to see how that defensive core shapes up throughout the season. Chicago is now entering the rebuild phase, as mentioned in the letter, stated this past offseason, I'm pretty sure, from Stan, Mo- Stan Bowman and their front office. And, you know, they're without Doc and Taves, but obviously that letter was, uh, you know, addressed before all that happened. It seemed to me, it seems to me right now that they're going to get a high draft pick, uh, you know, especially with the goaltending duel of Colin Delia and Malcolm Subban. Or not, no. Uh, yeah. yeah, Malcolm Subban. Okay. Malcolm Subban. Uh, so, you know, it just, it, it seems crazy to me that, you know, a team that dominated the early 2010s is now starting to fall off. Well, yeah, I think with Chicago, you know, outside of goaltending, which is a clear issue, you know, last year, night one, their tandem was Corey Crawford and Robin Leonard, which is a, a very solid tandem. And obviously, Corey Crawford went to New Jersey and uh, best of luck to him in his retirement. Uh, but, you know, Colin Delia and Malcolm Subban, that's, that's a big downgrade. So, you know, it, it, when they're in that sort of position where they don't really have a starter, uh, their defensive core which is also lacking, you know, it's really going to shine those, 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 those pieces on that defensive core. I remember being an Oilers fan, you know, although the Blackhawks did beat the Oilers in that qualifying round, their defensive core was definitely the weak spot on that team. And they, they were saved time and time again by the play of Corey Crawford. So now I think that they don't have that, you know, number one starter, they're really getting exposed. And, and like you mentioned with Taves, you know, and Doc as well being not there, I think, you know, for the last 10 years, uh, I think they had their they had their glory era throughout the early 2010s, and they've had some weaker seasons in the past couple of years. But they still sort of had some sort of identity when they had Taves on the ice. They still had a chance to win every game. But now without him, and obviously they shipped off uh, Brandon Saad to Colorado for Zadorov in the offseason, I think they're just uh, losing a lack of like they really just don't have much of a of an identity, and they're really uh, it's really starting to show now. Are you excited for the draft at all because of all of the uncertainty with, you know, all these prospects that are playing? Well, I think it's such an interesting thing because last year, obviously, you know, it wasn't a normal draft in the fact that uh, these players, we didn't get to see them play a ton before the draft. However, they still had, you know, at, at more than half of a season in their junior years. And uh, with the OHL, uh, OHL, I'm not sure about the WHL and QMJHL, but there hasn't been much action. So in terms of uh, prospects from Canada, it's, it's a really, really blurry area. Uh, as for people in Europe, I think, I think this draft, especially we're going to see a lot of players from Europe, maybe get a little more attention than usual. 
just because, you know, the Canadians, they're at such a disadvantage. They have to rely on everything they've proven up to this point for their draft ranking. So I think, you know, as a, as a GM, this draft can be frightening because you're getting the least amount of scouting on a given player as you've ever been given before. But uh, I think teams will have to adjust to that. And uh, like I said, I think the players from Europe are at an advantage and could move up in draft boards because of this. I think this this draft, this 2021 draft, is going to be a, a lot hit or miss, right? Like you might see a guy that's taken at number five, but then that, that guy could be a miss. But then we look back at number 20 and that guy's a hit, you know? It's just, it's going to be a little spotty this year. And that's just because of the pandemic that we're going through. And hopefully, you know, these prospects do pan out. Uh, you know, you never want to wish failure on anyone, but it, it really is putting GMs and scouts at such a big disadvantage when only European leagues are currently the ones going. I know the WHL, all the CHL has postponed their, uh, their games. Uh, their leagues aren't starting for a while. So it, it really sucks right now for the Canadians. Cause you know, like you said, you, you got to prove everything that you've proved up to this point. Mm-hmm. No. Yeah. It's just such a strange year. And I think hopefully you know, as we get closer to the draft, we get to see more and more of these prospects. We got to talk about, you know, the Florida Panthers and, you know, how their games have been postponed. But really, after their news about the games of, you know, after the news that their games are going to get postponed, it really turned sour when Keith Yandel was about to end his Ironman streak. But now he played yesterday, last night, and scored his 100th goal uh, congrats to him, obviously, but I, uh, you know, it just seems like such a weird situation down there in uh, Florida. Yeah, you know, the Meg Babcocks of this league, you know, the league is starting to shift into a different phase, but I feel like Joel Quinneville is, you know, one of those examples of those no-nonsense sort of coaches, and I'm not too sure what was happening behind the scenes, but obviously there was an issue within the locker room with Keith Yandel, uh, whether it just be, you know, his his lack of excitement in training camp. They thought that he wasn't, you know, good enough to crack their top six, which in my opinion is, you know, probably not right because I feel like that Florida top six is needing a guy like Keith Yandel. Uh, But it could just be Joel Quinville's stubbornness. You know, he's one of those coaches where, you know, he just looks like a pretty scary dude and you don't want to mess with him. But obviously for the hockey fan, Keith Yandel is such an exciting personality and he has been one of the best personalities in the league for the last, you know, 10 or so years. And, and that, that's a lot, that's, that's really good for hockey fans since, you know, the NHL is, is lax in, you know, sort of personality. You look at the NBA and the NFL, these, these players, they have these brands and these personalities and you see them all over, but with hockey players, there's, there's not so much of that. So anytime a player has, you know, a big personality like Keith Handel, you know, everyone sort of cheers for them to succeed. And, I'm sure you, you as well as myself, were cheering when he scored that goal last night, and he was—he seemed to be very emotional when he did score that goal. I just want to add on to your point there. I think the NHL does lack in marketing their star players. They need to do a better job of it, you know. I uh, and they gotta keep like his. I'm thinking of the Jake Voracek interview and how he completely demolished that reporter. Obviously, there's been some turmoil between the two for quite some time but you know if they can get those interviews like rolling and rolling again like you mentioned a lot of people are now going to gravitate to these personalities and that's how you kind of get you know more people involved within your league in my opinion oh yeah I think the NHL is just going to be forever searching for a way to make up for the lack of uh, marketing that their players have 
I think now, you know, with the new age, you know, guys like Matthews, they're in the GQ magazines, you know, trying, trying to make more of a brand for themselves than players in the past have. But the thing with hockey players is I feel like there's a, there's a lack of personality. You know, you got the Evander Canes, you got the Ryan Reeves, Tom Wilson's in the league. Those are going to bring the personality. However, you know, just compared to the NBA and NFL, it's hard to market your players. Ben Bishop and the Dallas Stars, uh, you know, Ben Bishop, we all know, is injured and is out right now. He's on injured reserve. And, you know, the Stars are now going to rely heavily on Hadobin again, who really carried them the majority of the way in the bubble, if I'm not mistaken. And to be fair, with all their games postponed, I think they may be prone to a slow start like we've been seeing with most of the teams. No, absolutely. I, I think a team that a lot of people are pointing at to take a pretty marginal step back this season is the Dallas Stars. And not so much to say that they're not going to make the finals as a step back, but I think, you know, missing the playoffs is definitely in the realm of possibilities for them, considering, you know, they haven't had, they won't have Ben Bishop for the first, uh, at least first half of the season. I'm not too sure when he's due to be back, but it, it is in the tail end of the season. In addition to that, they're missing probably their most gifted offensive player in uh, Tyler Sagan. He's uh, out for the first couple months as well. So I think those two pieces are definitely big. And I think when you look at Hudobin, you know, he had the great playoff run and he's had, uh, he's been a phenomenal backup, but uh, he's going to be relied upon to, to get these starts in the regular season. It's going to be interesting and it's going to be a real test of how good of a player he is because you know, we've, we've seen the Andrew Hammonds. We've seen, you know, Matt Murray won a cup as a rookie. We've seen goalies get hot at the right times, but it's it's going to be up to Anton Hudobin whether this team, you know, can can stay competitive. And I think Jake Onger brings up another question and whether he can have uh, sustainability within the net and kind of relieve Hudobin on those back-to-backs or when they're playing, you know, three games in four nights or whatever. Yeah, I think I think with the young goalies uh, in 2017, I believe Dallas drafted Ottinger in the first round, and he hasn't been everything that they drafted him to be. But I think this opportunity for him is definitely exciting. I think Stars fans should be excited because uh, you look at you look at the Carter Hart's Carter Hart, you know, being a potential Vesna candidate this year. He's he's so young. So when you have a good young goalie come in, it's good. But we've also seen, you know, instances where a goalie, you can just tell they're not ready for the NHL action. You mentioned Ilya Sorokin when we were talking before about the uh, the Islanders, but he, he he got lit up in his first start. I think he's a little more NHL ready than others. Uh, but, you know, a perfect example is uh, Michael Pietro. He was the he was a good junior goalie, good goalie for Canada, but he got thrust into action, played a game for the Canucks a couple, either last year or two years ago, and he let in like seven goals against the Sharks. So I think, you know, it, it's it's going to, it's another instance, you know, where it's hit or miss in terms of, you know, these young goalies, they're either going to wow people or they're just going to, you know, not be ready for NHL action. And I think there's a lot of question marks surrounding the Dallas tandem, and I, I hope they can step up. Another fan base that should be excited is the Minnesota Wild. And, you know, they got a Calder nominee, a legit Calder nominee, Kirill Kaprizov, who's, I guess, five years past his draft date, if I'm not mistaken. He's certainly on a hot streak right now. Uh, Obviously, it's like three games into the season. So 
take it with take it with a grain of salt, but he had an OT winning goal in Los Angeles and actually in one of the back-to-backs, and then he had an OT assist in the other back-to-back. So, you know, we, there's definitely some uh, familiarity there with Kaprizov in the Minnesota Wild system, which is good. And, you know, they're playing him on the first line. He's playing power play line one. So they're giving him a lot of opportunity to uh, run with. No, yeah, Kaprizov, uh, he's he's just making a case for why the 2015 NHL draft class will probably go down as the best draft class of all time. He seems like a steal. I think he went in the fifth round or so. And, and, and that has a part to do with the fact that he had a KHL contract. Teams knew that he wasn't going to be able to play in the NHL until he was around this age. Uh, and I think, you know, short term, that's not what you're looking for when you draft someone, but you know, Minnesota, you know, they were patient and it seems as it's totally paid off as, you know, now he's coming in 23 years old. He had experience in the KHL. He was above a point per game in the KHL last year. Uh, and there was a lot of hype surrounding him uh, coming up to the season. I know I was on that hype train. I prioritized to get him in most of my fantasy hockey leagues. Uh, and, and I'm super happy with the outcome as, you know, he seems like a matured 23-year-old stepping into this action. And he seems as if he's ready, you know, for this power play one, ready for this first line opportunity in Minnesota. And, you know, just for Minnesota Wild fans, they really haven't had that superstar, uh, you know, in, in maybe their entire history. And I think uh, Kaprizov, you know, is definitely making a case for a budding superstar in this league. And I think that we should mention that he actually scored the gold medal winning goal uh, for the Olympics, uh, Olympic of athletes from Russia uh, in 2018 in Pyeongchang. So, you know, there's obviously some history with him scoring big goals. We can kind of attribute that to the OT winning goal. Just something kind of uh, fun to put in there. No, yeah, you know, that, that just adds to his resume, having scored that goal. Obviously, he probably wouldn't have cracked the roster had it been a normal Olympics. But, you know, he got that opportunity to play since, you know, Russia... Russia wasn't allowed to have players from the NHL. I mean, no no team was allowed to have players from the NHL. Uh, and Russia was expected to win that tournament since they had the advantage of the KHL. And, you know, him being in 2018, what, he would have been 20, 21 years old, uh, scoring that goal definitely proves that he, he has that clutch mentality in him. Marco Rossi is, you know, their top uh, draft pick this past draft. Uh, you know, do you think that we could potentially see Rossi and Kaprizov play together uh, when Rossi does come back from his injury? I think uh, it's definitely an interesting thing to consider. Uh, Marco Rossi was one of the top prospects in this draft, and he sort of just fell into the Wilds' lap. Uh, he, he was – some people thought he could go, you know, top three, top five – but he ended up going to the wild and, and they have to be ecstatic about the fact that they got Marco Rossi as he does fit that true center position, which they, they are lacking. You look at their team and, you know, their first line center uh, centering Parise and Kaprizov is Nick Bukestad and, you know, Bukestad, no, no knock to him, but he's not a number one center in this league. Uh, other centers include, you know, Nick Benino, Marcus Johansson can play the center. But I think, you know, Marco Rossi is definitely going to be given that opportunity considering how thin they are at center. And, you know, if his performance is good enough, I think, you know, they're going to put him with Kaprizov just because uh, to get that chemistry built uh, when, when the team is young and when those players are young. I think it could be an interesting thing to see. One of the line combinations that I've been liking recently is that Dan Quinn decided to put Lafreniere, uh, Alexis Lafreniere, alongside of Artemi Panarin. And, you know, that really shows me that he has trust 
or he, or he trust and that he uh, wants his uh, rookie to succeed. He, you know, Dan Quinn's putting his rookie Alexis Lafreniere in a position to succeed with Artemi Panarin, who, uh, you know, he went, he had a great season last uh, year and hopefully Panarin and Lafreniere can build that chemistry and have another great season uh, this season. Yeah. I think, you know, when the Rangers won the lottery, uh, I mean, it was disappointing when one of the play-in won the lottery. Uh, you, f- you felt as if, you know, oh, the Penguins or the Oilers, one of these teams going to get Lafreniere. I think the Rangers wasn't a terrible option. Uh, but you look at them last season and how they handled uh, Capo Caco. He was very highly touted coming from Finland. And people thought he was going to be, you know, potentially the Calder. And he just didn't really mesh well with Dan Quinn. And he didn't get really the minutes that, you know, a true number two overall pick should be getting. Uh, and a lot of people, when Lafreniere went to the Rangers, thought, you know, they're very deep at left wing. You know, they had Panarin, they had Chris Kreider. So people thought, you know, maybe the opportunity wasn't going to be there for Panarin, or for Lafreniere either. But, uh, you know, it's already the second game of the season. And, and, and part of that might be the fact that they lost 4 nothing in their first game. You know, they had to make a big change. And I think putting Lafreniere with Panarin is uh, definitely an interesting thing. And I think hockey fans should be excited because, you know, we've already seen what Panarin and Zabinijad can do. Add another element to that. And the Rangers are, have, have a very exciting offense. You touched on this a bit earlier with Ilya Sorokin and how he looks NHL ready, but, you know, he did get torched, unfortunately. But, you know, the thing is, is that he was rushed into that game after Semin Varlamov took a shot to the collarbone area. I can tell you right now that, you know, with Boston and New York playing as we speak, Varlamov is starting. Um, but, you know, let's, I'm just hoping that Sorokin, uh, you know, hopefully he rebounds and has a better first game. Like I wouldn't really count this as his first game because he was rushed in, you know, he didn't really get the proper practice because when you're in warmups before the game, usually the starting goalie takes, uh, you know, 80 to 90% of the shots from the team. Um, and obviously Sorokin wasn't ready for that. So hopefully he can have a better game and, you know, he can get some momentum in underneath him. Yeah, I think there was a lot of expectations coming into the season because Sorokin not only himself was phenomenal in KHL play, uh, which gets people excited, but within the last few years, you've seen Ilya Samsonov, who's now the starter in Washington, and you see Igor Shesterkin, who's now probably the starter in uh, New York. You've seen these Russian goalies coming over uh, after playing, having some time in the KHL. Uh, you just draw those comparisons. And I think a lot of fans are were super excited for, for Sorokin. Obviously, the start he didn't want. And I, I believe that uh, as the season goes on, he's going to become a lot more comfortable with the NHL. Uh, I think for goalies, it's a lot, a little bit harder of a transition to go from the KHL to the NHL, um, especially against the Rangers team where we were talking, you know, that high-powered offense. That's a team, you know, where their defense isn't the greatest, so they have to rely on scoring goals. And I think, you know, it was just unfortunate that Sorokin was put in that position. And I wish nothing but the best for him going going forward. Another goalie who has been torched as of late has been Frederick Anderson, which has, you know, caused some questions uh, come the Leafs goalie uh, tandem. You know, Toronto hasn't really looked all that good to me. Anderson so far, he's played two games. He's allowed nine goals, uh, five, uh, you know, I think to – Montreal, uh, four to Ottawa, just sloppy play defensively. The Leafs are constantly getting outworked. Uh, you know, in the first game against Ottawa, they got out hit, they got out shot, although they did play really good in the second game. 
you know, they almost lost to Montreal, picking up the OTW uh, against them. You, you know, these Montreal and Ottawa are very inferior to Toronto. Like Toronto should be wiping the floor with Montreal and Ottawa, in my opinion. Um, but really, Toronto hasn't given me a vibe of a playoff team. So, so far, I have them out of the playoffs. Yeah, I mean, like I said earlier, that's an extremely bold take for Toronto to be out of the playoffs. But uh, obviously, I, I do believe that they'll rebound. Uh, and eventually, you know, I think they'll be leading the North Division come to the end of the season. But that that defense is definitely, you know, draws draws some question marks. Uh, that was their biggest, you know, that's been their biggest problem throughout the last couple of seasons. The offense has always been there. They've been in the top offenses in the league. However, their defense has been, you know, so, so much of a handicap where they haven't been able to get past that first round hump. Uh, and I think for Frederick Anderson coming into this season, it's a, it's a different circumstance. He has one year left on his deal. There was a bit of noise in the offseason about him potentially getting moved. So, you know, in terms of a goalie's confidence, that could have some impact. But I do think, you know, Frederick Anderson's still a solid starter. And I think a lot of this uh, is just to do with, you know, the Leafs, the Leafs blue line. And I think these upgrades that they made in the offseason might have might not have been as good as Leafs Nation was uh, pushing out there. You see in the first couple of games, Zach Bogosian has not looked good whatsoever. Um, and TJ Brody, I, I know I watched the first Montreal versus Toronto game and TJ Brody looked practically invisible. You know, and another team that I mentioned there is the Ottawa Senators. Uh, you know, I think a lot of people are underrating, uh, you know, these Senators because just of, you know, what we see on paper. But, I, you know, th I think they can hang with the big dogs after, you know, I'm pretty sure it was like a one goal game uh, against uh, Toronto on the second back-to-back. -back. I could be wrong. Uh, you know, they played phenomenal in the first game. Uh, you know, I, from on paper, they don't look like a good team at all. I, I won't I'll be honest. But, you know, they have great uh, that great offseason acquisition in Evgeny Dadanov. They drafted Tim Stutzel, who looks phenomenal so far. Uh, you know, and they also have legit goaltending. You know, they got Matt Murray from the Pittsburgh Penguins. And look at Pittsburgh. They're starting to falter now. And a lot of people put, you know, the blame on Matt Murray. But now is it? Tristan Joy's fault is a Casey DeSmith's fault. A lot of Penguin fans are, uh, you know, trying to displace the blame uh, on different people. You know, could Mike Sullivan get fired? A lot of questions there for Pittsburgh. But to stay on topic here with the Ottawa Senators, I really like their team. I really like how young they are. I think they got their mojo. They have their legs underneath them. Uh, you know, this is a good team that I think a lot of people are not taking seriously. Mm-hmm. Like, like we, I said before, you know, there's going to be one or two teams every season that, you know, kind of sneaks into the playoffs. And with only seven teams in the North Division, you know, more than half of them are going to make it. And the way this Ottawa's team's playing, I think they are young and exciting enough to, you know, at least keep up with the other teams in the North Division. I think in terms of if you had asked me two weeks ago, I, I didn't love the Senators roster, you know, had some exciting pieces for sure. But I do think a very underrated move by uh, Pierre Dorian was going out and getting Derek Stepan, uh, bringing in that veteran leadership, someone who has playoff experience. Because I think, you know, Ottawa, for the first time, maybe we were seeing a team, you know, go through practically a complete rebuild oh, yeah. in terms of, you know, very little pieces from their competitive team uh, only a couple seasons ago remained. And I think they did lack that uh, veteran leadership. And I think bringing in a guy like Derek Stepan is really, really big because, you know, he adds leadership and takes a little bit of uh, takes a little bit of pressure off of, you know, Brady Kachuk and uh, 
Thomas Shabbat in their leadership roles and they can fo focus more on, you know, just playing their game and uh, winning hockey games. But uh, as you mentioned, Matt Murray, you know, he, he had a lot of issues in Pittsburgh that resulted in him getting shipped out. And uh, I think if he can play solid this season, I think the Senators can definitely make a push for sure. One of the things about this season is the one of the new things I should say is the helmet ads. Uh, obviously, the NHL is losing billions while competing this season, but you know the owners, the general managers, the players all agreed on it because you know it would bring normalcy back into the fans' lives, and you know that was really important for them. But I'm pretty sure Bemin, Gary Bemin appeared on Tim and Sid, and you know had this great press conference or you know uh, interview, uh, saying like, yeah, the NHL is losing billions, and you know they have to have sponsorships, they have to have ads, just because it's how people keep their jobs. But the thing that I wasn't expecting was just the, uh, the whole amount of it. I thought it was just going to be the small helmet ads and the division names, but you know, I'm seeing ads on the glass. I'm seeing ads on the ice. This isn't uh, you know, a huge problem. Uh, obviously it's uh, you know, it's, I guess a change, right. Uh, to say, you know, I wasn't ready for it, but uh, you know, I think this will be, uh, I think until the NHL can operate in a positive income, a lot of people are worried about ads on the jerseys though. But, uh, you know, Batman has said time and time again, even when it, uh, Adidas finally took over as the Jersey rights holders, uh, fans were worried about ads on the jerseys there. Um, and I still think to this day that we won't see it, although it's free money for owners and, you know, who wants to say no, who would say no to free money. I just think that we won't see ads on jerseys. Batman won't let that happen. There'll be an outcry from the fans if they do happen. Uh, I don't think we'll see ads on the helmets, uh, other than this season and maybe the start of next season, depending on how, uh, things go with this whole coronavirus. Yeah, I think aesthetically and visually, you know, the amount of ads that we're seeing on these broadcasts, not only on the helmets, but as you mentioned, you know, on the ice and on the glass, I think, uh, you know, for a fan visually, it might be a little much. It's a little, you know, in your face, you're just getting hit with ads left and right. But I think as a, as a hockey fan, especially as a, you know, general sports fan, we've been so deprived uh, in this pandemic that I think, you know, we value just the fact that hockey's back and we appreciate the fact that hockey is there. Um, but also, as you said, you know, in terms of the jerseys, I think we can appreciate the job that the NHL has done because it seems that, you know, they've put ads on pretty much everything they have that they can except for the jerseys because, uh, you know, a, a hockey jersey or a hockey sweater is more of a, you know, like a sacred sort of thing. It's it's not so much you slap a, slap a little Caesars ad on there for the Detroit Red Wings. Uh, it, it just when there's so much history that goes behind team branding and such, I think, you know, uh, ads on the jerseys would, would, would cause for an outcry and, in terms of the, oh, ads, sorry, go ahead. no, no. In terms of the ads on the helmet, I remember I had a discussion with my friend about it. You know, some of the teams, you know, you look at the capitals, their ad is capital one. So it kind of fits within the team. Um, but then you look at the uh, Leafs, you know, they have Scotiabank and it looks fine on their home uh, home uniforms because it, it they, it's white and it blends in with the blue. But, you know, on their away uniforms, it's the red Scotiabank logo on yeah. the Leafs helmet. And just, you know, when you think of the Leafs, you think of blue and white and nothing else. And, you know, when you throw that red into the mix, definitely, you know, it's going to upset some, you know, traditional sports fans. 
Yeah, and, and just to add to your point there, uh, the ads aren't that big on the helmets, you know? Uh, they, they're very small, and if you're watching a game, you barely notice them until they focus on a player, right? So it's just a minor inconvenience, in my opinion, having the ads uh, on the uh, helmet, uh, it, you know? And I think that, uh, that if that's the way to, you know, generate revenue and generate income, uh, you just got to do it. It's, it's kind of uh, what we're left with in this pandemic. Absolutely. I mean, yeah, just, you know, adjusting day by day to the changes that, you know, sports are seeing. I think, I think we value as fans, you know, just seeing the game versus not seeing the game. One thing that I thought we would do, which would be fun, is kind of do our predictions for the game. It could be, you know, I, I just have uh, the winning team, uh, you know, highlighted. I don't have really any score predictions. Um, but, you know, since we are recording on uh, MLK Day, Martin Luther King Day, there are some games that are already ongoing and finished. So I thought that we would do the January 19th predictions. So those are the games for tomorrow. So, uh, you know, I could go first. Um, I have the New Jersey Devils beating the Rangers. I think that, you know, with New Jersey's uh, strong start, they're going to continue it and win against the Rangers. Uh, I think the Sabres uh, are going to beat the Flyers, in my opinion. Uh, you know, obviously the loss to Zemgus Gergensen's does impact that lineup. Uh, you know, I just have a feeling that Taylor Hall and Eichler are finally going to click. They have Tage Thompson there to add size to that line. That's really the only reason I can think about that. Um, I have the Panthers winning over the Blackhawks simply because the Blackhawks aren't good. Uh, the Capitals over the Penguins, you know, uh, I think that once that rivalry is going to be awesome to watch, but you know, once now they got their first game underneath them, I, uh, I think the Caps are going to be more gritty. They're going to, you know, beat down on the pens and they're going to take, uh, the win tomorrow. I have the Senators over the Jets. Uh, like we mentioned, uh, Ottawa is such a young team and such a fun team to watch. So I have them and their young core beating Winnipeg. I have the Columbus Blue Jackets over the Red Wings. Uh, you know, Detroit, uh, their goalie tandem is kind of weak, in my opinion, having Jonathan Bernier assume the starting role. Uh, so I have a feeling that, you know, the Blue Jackets and their top six will, you know, overcome the Red Wings. Uh, I have the Carolina Hurricanes beating the Nashville Predators. Uh, I have a feeling that, um, you know, the Carolina Hurricanes, they have, you know, Andre Sveshnikov, Sebastian Aho, Nino Niederreiter. Uh, you know, those guys are going to help carry that offense to a victory tomorrow. And finally, we have the Colorado Avalanche versus the LA Kings. I have Colorado taking the W over the LA Kings. Colorado is such a fantastic team. They have great defense, great offense, and that's uh, what's going to happen. Yeah, I mean, it'll be fun to look back at these predictions and see how we do. Um, I think I'm going to have to disagree with you on the first one there, though. I'm going to go with the New York Rangers over the New Jersey Devils. I just believe, you know, uh, Lafreniere and Panarin, you know, they got they got a little bit of game action under their belt. I think they'll bring it in uh, against the Devils. And I think that, you know, we, we could see a lot of goals being scored in that game. I think both teams, you know, are interesting and have offensive pieces. I just feel like the Rangers as of now are a more complete team, but I wouldn't be surprised if the Devils do pull off the upset like you predicted. Uh, moving on, I mean... Uh, I'll go with the Sabres as sort of, uh, you know, my father's a Sabres fan. Uh, so is my brother. And that's my second favorite team, you know, riding on the Buffalo train, I guess. Uh, the Flyers do look really good, though. 
uh, out the out of the gate. I I believe um, you know Carter Hart's like I said before. I think he's a Vesna candidate, and their offense has been playing well. But they did lose Sean Couturier, and I think that lack of you know his presence you know will be felt. And I think Buffalo can take advantage of that Flyers team. Uh, I think the Panthers will beat the Blackhawks as well. You know, we saw last night just the Blackhawks don't look really much like an NHL team, and I think they're in for a very long and rough season. Uh, Bobrovsky also will be getting the start tomorrow night, I believe. Uh, he's got a lot to prove this season, so I'll, I'll go with him in that one. Uh, I think I think the Senators, you know, I'll, I'll go with the upset as well. I, I don't know how much of an upset it is, but uh, I think the Jets – uh, they're playing tonight. They're playing the Leafs, so uh, with Hellebuck. So I think Hellebuck might get pounded tonight, and in a back-to-back, they might be forced to go with their backup, Laurent Brassois, and I think that might prove to be a disadvantage against the Senators. Um, I think the Peng, uh, the Penguins, uh, they'll lose. I think the Capitals will win. You know, that's a sort of team where you know it, it's a flip of a coin who's going to win that game. All you know is it's just going to be very entertaining. And I think the Capitals, you know. They they could have won that game yesterday, and I think you know they'll, they'll win it this time around. Uh, for the Blue Jackets and Red Wings, uh, they played today. The Blue Jackets won. It was closer than a lot anticipated, just because the Red Wings are still still sort of in the joke era of their lead, uh, of their team. But uh, you know, Bobby Ryan's been playing well. But I think I got to go with the Blue Jackets, even though they do have you know a bit of uh, bit of drama going on within their locker room. Uh, I think I'm not too sure who the starter was today. But, you know, with Corpusalo and Merzlikens, you're rolling out a good goal no matter what. And I believe that the Red Wings just won't have enough offensive firepower to beat them. Uh, I'll go with the Hurricanes as well over the Predators. I think the Hurricanes are, you know, a good contender this season. And I think, especially in that division, they could have a phenomenal regular season. Uh, they lost to the Red Wings the other day, which was came to me as a bit of a surprise. But I do think they'll rebound. Uh, the Predators have looked uh, – UC Saros has looked phenomenal through two games. Um uh, I believe that that's his role now. I think Pecorino, uh, we're going to see him just be the backup this season, but I still have the Hurricanes taking that. And then, yeah, I think the easiest pick of the entire night is probably the Avalanche over the Kings. I think the Kings are just in a transition period. You know, the Blackhawks have gone through it. The Kings have been going through it for the last couple of years, you know, just the post, post-contending post era where, you know, the team is competitive for so many years, but they do sacrifice a lot of their future I think the Kings have done a good job building for the future, but I just believe it's not it's not there. And the Colorado Avalanche is probably one of the best rosters top to bottom in the NHL. So I'll go with them in that game. Well, I'd like to thank uh, my podcast analyst, Nolan Thode, for joining me on you know this first segment of Down to the Wire. Thank you again, Nolan, uh, for taking the invitation. No problem, Pags. It's always a pleasure. And I hope uh, I hope this season proves to be an entertaining and memorable one for the NHL.